Good morning. Good morning. Well, we're in John chapter 5, so if you want to find John chapter 5, we'll get to work there. Um, there is a lot going on in John chapter 5, right. and uh, when you look at it, you think, how in the world are we going to cover this? Uh, and, I, and for me, it's easiest to think about it uh, as like a law and order episode. How many, how many of you know Law and Order? Like, like eight of you. Okay. Uh, a, little, a little more than that. A little that. more than that. I, I, I know. I'm dating <laughs> myself a little bit. So Law and Order is a television show where um, basically you have a crime committed, and then the police investigate it, and then they, they bring it to trial, and, and like they resolve this crime in one episode. And, and it's kind of what's going on in John chapter 5 here. Jesus commits a crime. And, um, and then he makes an opening argument, and then he brings witnesses up in his defense. And that's, so that's kind of the framework yeah. of John chapter 5, and we're going uh, to kind of dive in right away yeah. here, because it's only, you know, 40-some-odd verses. Yeah. So and, the first 17 verses are really, here's all the action. Yeah. And then after those verses, we see Jesus explaining these things, and we get a window into uh, you know, what he's done in the physical realm, how it translates into the spiritual realm. Yeah, so, so let's, let's just dive right in here. Chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic, in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew uh, that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred and while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered, the man who healed me, that man said, take up your bed and walk. And they asked, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So that's the, that's the great crime, is Jesus has walked up to this pool and healed a man and, and told the guy to carry his mat. That's the great crime. Yeah, and let me just pause right there for a second and remind us that when John writes this gospel, he tells us at the very end of this book, he says that if I were to have written down all the stories of Jesus, there would not be enough room in the world to contain all the stories. And then uh, the chapter before that, he tells us why he wrote this gospel. He says he wrote this gospel so that we may know that Jesus is the Messiah and that we might believe that he's the Messiah and that in believing we would have eternal life. So if you haven't been with us in this series, it's okay. Uh, you can catch right 
up with us today, uh, but because really it's the same thing. Yeah. Story after story, John is showing us uh, who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. And this story, so if it's a TV show here, uh, it's, it's centered on the fact, uh, not it's about a healing, but it's not really about right. a healing. It's right. about the Jews wanting to kill Jesus. So they, you know, they come out, they throw their yellow flag like a referee. <laughs> yeah. That was Carlos's reference. Yeah. I love that. They're just yeah. like you get tired of watching penalties in a football game. Here they are. A man's been healed, and they want to say right. he's committed a crime. Right. It's, uh, it's kind of ridiculous. It's where religion gets kind of sad and silly. Yeah. Uh, they, um, you notice they don't say anything about the man being healed. Right, 38 years. It's actually 13,680 days. Hmm. This guy has been laying next to this pool hoping to get in, waiting on uh, some of the myth surrounding it was that there was an angel that would stir the pool. He's waiting. You know, maybe if he sees the water stir, he can somehow, somebody can help him in and get healed. And, and he's healed, and these guys are so caught up on the fat, fact that he's carrying a mat yeah. that they, but, they've but, missed. I, what I find amazing is that as he's sitting there uh, by the water, he's looking for a spiritual answer to his desperate need. <laughs> right. He's sitting there hoping an angel comes. And what's amazing is John has already told us that Jesus, he turned water into wine. So he, he, Jesus has control over the water. Right. <laughs> And this man's looking for, at this water for an answer when Jesus is standing right in front of him, and, and this man has no idea. I just think it's ama- an amazing picture for us that Jesus could be standing right in front of you, and you have no idea. And, and that the spiritual piece of it is the most important piece. I yeah. think that's one of the reasons when you look at verse 3. In these lay a multitude of invalids. We don't know how many. It could have been a hundred. Blind, lame, paralyzed, and Jesus heals one of them. I, I think it's important to say this. Jesus didn't come to heal us physically. Could he do it? Yes. He could have spoken a word and everyone there been healed physically. What Jesus knows and what we know is this. There is much worse things that need to be healed than your physical ailment. There is a, there is a spiritual mm-hmm. Death, the Bible calls it, that needs to be healed. And, and the crazy thing is this guy that he healed is going to die. Right? He, he, he's going to die. And Jesus healed him. And the, so this idea that there's a spiritual thing underneath this healing is what we got to get at and what Jesus really, because the reason he does it on the Sabbath. He says in verse 14, Jesus finds him in the temple. Yeah after the Jews have confronted him, and he says, see that you are well, sin no more, for so that nothing worse happens to you. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying that worse part that could happen to you, that would be what he's going to talk about in verse 29 of this chapter when he says, um, do not marvel for I'm sorry, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So he's saying, here's the worst part. You could miss out for eternity. Yeah. And Jesus, when he heals this man, he says the word get up. 
That word it means to arise, to awaken. It's, it's the same word that would be used to arouse someone or for Jesus to actually call out someone to come to life. When Jesus uh, brings life to us, when he, we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our sins. And when Jesus breathes life into us, that's what he says to us. He says, get up. And that's what he says to this man. He says, get up in, a, in the physical realm and be healed. And he's telling this man, don't miss the get up that's going to be in the spiritual realm. This, this judgment that's going to come, I want you to, to, to um, rise to eternal life and not to judgment. Right. And, and again, remember, that's what John, John has told us. That's the purpose of the book. So that you will know Jesus is the Son of God and, that by, and believe in him and that by believing him you will have eternal life. And so we see in this episode here Jesus unpacking all of that for this guy. And then when he says the statement, my father's working until now and I am working. Look at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So here are the charges, right? He's breaking the Sabbath, mm -hmm. and he's equal with God. Those, those are the charges. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to go, okay, you, you want to bring charges against me? Here we go. Let, let me just make a little opening argument here. And he gives uh, kind of six uh, responses or six claims uh, that are going to actually support them wanting to kill him. And, um, we, you know, one of the crazy things is uh, this idea of the Sabbath. I, I, I just yeah. thought about this. Yeah. So, so a lame guy who hasn't worked in 38 years right. is accused of working by carrying his mat. Right. And, and th think, th think about this. His, you, you said this this week. This guy's work had been yeah. to lay by the pool and just somehow hope to get in. This guy, for the first time in his life, has Sabbath, right? The carrying the mat is the most rested this man has ever been in his soul, probably. He doesn't have to work to try to get in the pool, yeah. and so that charges. The reason charges, that God gave us the Sabbath yeah. was to rest. It, so they've made the Sabbath into a burden when God meant it to be a blessing. Right, and so they've they've put these unnecessary rules on on the Sabbath. You know, here's how you're going to uh, make sure that um, you follow the law exactly. And we have to remember that as we read this story, we have to remember it's possible that we could be this character in the story. That we could be the Jews who have put unnecessary rules. Or this is how you this is how you're moral in life. This is how you play by the rules, and you're a good Christian. And we could be again. We could have Jesus right in front of us and miss him. Right. Uh, you know, they, they don't care at all about the fact that the man's been healed. All they care about is that, you know, Jesus has broken the law. So, and, and if anybody ever, like, wonders, did Jesus really claim to be God? You know, it, one of those charges is that they, they were seeking to kill him because he's claiming to be God. He says, my father, it's, it's used in a very exclusive sense there in verse 17, my father, like, as in, I am the son of God. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, John's trying to show us this is why they were actually trying to kill him because of these claims he was making. Right, and you, you may not believe he's the son of God, but you cannot say he never made those claims. Yeah. But because the, the religious leaders of his day understood that sentence 
my father is working until now and I am working. They, they understood that sentence to mean this man, this carpenter is saying he is God. And um, the reality is he's about to show them, yeah, you're right. Um, and so just look real quick at these uh, kind of six claims Jesus makes. Uh, in 17 through 20, he, he reinforces this idea that he is equal with God. Uh, just look at a couple of these. Uh, in 19, he says, uh, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Jesus is saying, I am equal with the father. I do what the father does. And so he's, he is in agreement with them. He is claiming. Yeah. I'm equal with God. And it was a, it's a brilliant argument that Jesus uses here because the Jewish and Jewish thought at that time, uh, they believed that, you know, Jesus rest, or, or, I'm sorry, God rested from creation. That was the Sabbath, but he did not stop working, right? God rested from creation, but he had to continue working in order to uphold the universe. In fact, we believe uh, this fact about God that he didn't just create the world and then walk away, that he created the world and by his powerful word, he sustains it. And so Jesus says, uh, well, my father's working, so I can work on the Sabbath. So if you can, you know, if you're going to say that uh, I was working, well, that's okay because... Because dad's working. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so he claims, I'm, I'm equal with God. The second thing he claims is he is the giver of life. Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to who he will. Jesus is saying, I have the power of life. That's a pretty insane claim, mm-hmm. Right? Verse uh, 22 and 23, he claims that he is the final judge. The father judges no one, but God has given all judgment to his son that uh, all may honor the son. So Jesus is saying the, the, the right at the final judgment to decide is left to me. The fourth claim uh, is this is cool. So he's the final judge. He's also the way out of judgment. Mm -hmm. Look at verse 24. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. So Jesus is saying, if you want to get out of the judgment that I'm going to pass, you need to believe in me because I can get you out of it. Number five, fifth claim. Raises the dead. Verse 29. (laughs) And those who are in the tombs, will, they will hear and they will come out. The resurrection. I have the power to raise the dead. And the sixth claim in verse 30, he goes back to this, I, I'm doing the will of the Father. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So this is Jesus' opening argument Mm -hmm. in the courtroom, if you will. He's saying, I am God. I'm equal with the Father. I give life. I'm the final judge. I can get people out of judgment. I can raise the dead. And I do only what the Father says. So that's my opening argument, right? These are 
unbelievable claims that he's making. So put yourself in the shoes of the Jews who have, you know, put him on trial, essentially, is what we're saying. The Jews have said, you've committed this crime. Now, put yourself in their shoes, that they have followed God their whole life. That's what they have thought. They've, they've read the scriptures. They have memorized the scriptures. They know everything about the Old Testament law. And so here's this man who stands up. They've hardly seen heal anyone. And when he stands up, he says, my father's working so I can work. That's his defense. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, think about that. If you're the Jews hearing this, and then now that you're hearing what Jesus says, um, let's just walk through this one more time. Verse 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That truly, truly statement uh, kind of begins, uh, or kind of re ends uh, the statement he begins in verse 21. Jesus is making this astonishing claim that he's the one who has power for eternal life. That, that get up that he says to this man who's paralyzed and uh, sitting there by the pool hoping in some way that he could be healed. When he says that, and just think about this for a second, with a simple word, he stands up. John has already told us that Jesus is the, the Logos. He says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was, it was through this Word that, that the world was created. This powerful war, Word spoke the world into existence. And it's this Word that is spoken to a, a man who's disabled, who is healed. And he says, if you hear this Word and you believe, you'll have eternal life. Now, you're the Jews, and you're sitting back, and you're hearing this going, is he this is blasphemy. He's crazy. crazy. Yes, he's crazy, right? He, and, and later, we're going we're gonna to see his own brothers say, it, it's like, like you're, you're nuts. And then other people go, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the kid from, mm -hmm. like, he's crazy, right? And, and these claims... Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He goes, so I'm going I'm to bring some witnesses out now. Mm -hmm. So what are the witnesses? Well, uh, witness number one is the Father. Verse uh, 31, um, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, Jesus isn't saying, if you just have my word to go on, I could be lying. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, it, it's this... He's leaning back into this Jewish culture and this idea that if you've got witnesses to collaborate, then you're on good ground. And he's saying, I only do the will of the one who sent me in verse 30, 31. Uh, there is another who bears witness uh, in verse 32 about me. And I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. Jump down to verse uh, 37. The Father has sent me. The Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. Think about that. You do not have his word abiding in you. These are the teachers of the law. Mm -hmm. So he, he says, the Father is a witness that I am the Messiah. 
the reason they can't hear those, these words and they don't have his word abiding in him is that that word is logos again. It, they don't have Jesus abiding in them. Right. That's why they, they don't get it. Right. But God has testified to Jesus, right, at his baptism. Remember that story of Jesus? There at his baptism, the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased when John the Baptist baptizes him. So God the Father, witness number one. Witness number two, John the Baptist. Yeah. Look, look at what he says. Verse 33, you sent to John. You yourselves went to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Isn't that great? Now that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. You, you went to John, and John told you the truth. That should have been a clue for you. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Mm -hmm. So there was this glimmer of hope that they're thinking, because they go out to John. John's got this following, and they're thinking, well, maybe this is the, the yeah. forerunner of the Messiah, and they missed it. Yeah. And I think we underestimate, too, the power of John the Baptist, because listen to this. In Matthew 3, 5, this is what it says about, about him. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. John the Baptist, I mean, had, like, in John's gospel, we move on from John the Baptist kind of quickly. You know, he's, because that's the point of his life. He's like, I'm just here to point you to Jesus. And John, the gospel writer, you know, moves quickly from his life. But what we're told by Matthew is that he had this incredible following. I mean, there was no person in that region who did not know about that man. Right. And what did that man say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his testimony about Jesus. So Jesus is pointing back to that. Hey, you remember what John said? I'm only saying this for your sake. Yeah. I don't have to say this, but for your sake. Look, you went out to him. All of you followed him. And look what he said. The um, third witness is his works. Jesus says, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish... The very works I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. This thing you brought me on trial for, breaking the Sabbath, that testifies that I am the Messiah. Yeah, he's kind of like, you missed a little something. You, you missed the guy walking, getting yeah. up. The fact that that guy was 38 years, he hadn't walked. Yeah, let, let me just, let's rewind. This guy got up. That's testifying that I am who I claim to be. And in John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he says, look, we, we've seen the signs you've done. So there, there's already been multiple things right. that Jesus has done that has shown his miraculous power, and they, their eyes are glossy. They can't see it. Right. The fourth witness is Scripture itself. Verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. <laughs> you search the scriptures because you think in them you're going to find life, but they're, they're actually pointing to me for life. He says, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So the scriptures themselves, Jesus said, are, are a sign. We've been talking about signs a lot. They are a sign to me. They point to me, and you have missed the whole point of the scriptures. And the scriptures he's referencing there would be the Old Testament. Right? So there's, there is a way, obviously, 
right? Because of what Jesus says here. There is a way to study the Bible and to know the Bible and to memorize the Bible in such a way that you miss Jesus. Yeah. That, that's astonishing. And it's a key for us, too. I mean, anytime we go back into the Old Testament and we're reading stories about the Old Testament, if we don't see Jesus there, then we've missed it, too. So we, we go back and, you know, any, anytime we're reading there or teaching through the Old Testament, uh, we're, we're going to be looking, how's, how, does, how is Scripture fulfilled in Jesus? And you'll, you'll notice, as you ask that question, you'll see it over and over again. I get it now. I see how this points us to Jesus. That, you know, we've already talked about how Jesus, last week with the Samaritan woman, how Jesus is the better, some, uh, better Jacob, the greater Jacob. Uh, how, how Jesus is the greater Moses, and we're going to get to that now. Well, yeah, it started in Genesis 3. Genesis 3.15, uh, it's recorded that yeah. the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's a reference to Jesus crushing Satan on the cross. You, you have uh, Adam and Eve being covered in animal skins. It's a picture of God covering our sins in the death of Jesus. Uh, Abraham... Sacrifice of Isaac, God providing a lamb. That's a picture of Jesus who is coming. The Passover and the idea that there is a lamb that must be slaughtered and blood put on. That's a picture of Jesus. The tabernacle is a picture of Jesus. The rock in the wilderness that Moses hits with a staff is a picture of Jesus who is the living water. The whole Bible has one hero. And his name is Jesus. And these guys have missed him. And, and this is the, this, so his last witness is the best one, right? Which is if you're a good lawyer, mm -hmm. this is what you do. Yeah. You bring your, you bring your, yeah, your look, big gun in at the end. Look at verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Think about what Jesus has just said. They are pinning all their hope on Moses and what Moses has written. They'd even taken the Sabbath laws and they had gone, all right, now what constitutes work? They had, they had written all of these nitpicking little laws into the Sabbath thing, like, I read one this week that uh, it was illegal to carry a, a needle in a garment. Like that was breaking the Sabbath. But you could actually carry a sick person on a mat. Yeah. That's not, like it's, they missed the whole point. Yeah. Jesus is saying all of the, even the laws in Leviticus, they point to me. And they have missed it. And he says, the one you've put your hope in isn't for you. He's accusing you. Moses is your accuser not your savior. And because every word he penned, he wrote for me. If you just think about the life of Moses, for, for example, when Moses brings the people out of Israel, I mean, out of slavery, brings the people of Israel out of slavery, it's pointing to a savior that can do that for eternity, not just temporarily out of slavery, but for good he could bring his people out of slavery. And then you have Moses give the people the law. He delivers the law. This is why the Jewish people love Moses. 
But although he gave the law, he could not deliver them from the law. Someone greater would have to do that. In fact, Moses says that in Deuteronomy 18. Just so you know, we're not making that up, and Jesus didn't either. Moses says, Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Mm -hmm. Peter, all right, so that's Moses looking forward. Peter in Acts, don't, don't miss this, Acts 3. Peter picks up on that in Acts 3, verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Acts 4. <laughs> you can so oh, excited. No, Acts 4 is great. Getting excited. Um, Acts 3, 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled... Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time, oh man, for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Peter who has the advantage of looking back to the cross, saying what Moses wrote is about Jesus. Moses isn't the hero of the Bible. Jesus is. And the whole point here, and you're, you're going to hear people make arguments that, you, oh, you should, we don't need the Old Testament. Hear Jesus, okay? If you don't believe Moses, you cannot believe me. You can't throw out the Old Testament. It's not a different God. There's signs, the Old Testament are signs saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I remember when Cynthia and I were uh, much younger, we, we traveled to Yellowstone in Wyoming. And um, the Yellowstone National Park's amazing. Right? And there were uh, signs. You'd have these signs for Yellowstone Lodge, Old Faithful. And the signs were pretty awesome. Right? They're all hand carved. And people would, there would be traffic jams. People would stop and get out and take pictures with the signs. Right? If you've been, you know. This is true. Oh, the, oh there's a sign. Let me get out and have my picture made next to the Old Faithful sign. Well, we had a guy that actually lived in Wyoming say to us, don't stop at the signs. Drive past the signs, because what you want to see is, think about it. There's a sign that says Old Faithful. You can stop there and take your picture, or you can actually go to a place where a geyser runs like a watch. It goes off so ac accurately. Like, and people would miss the actual geyser because they're hung up with the sign. Jesus is saying, Moses is a sign. Mm -hmm. Don't miss it. Mm -hmm. you got to believe my words. So do you see how astonishing these claims are that Jesus is making? Do you see why the Jews would sit back and all the more try to kill him? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. You may have heard it before. He says, in the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply what I can only regard as a silliness and conceit unrivaled by any character in history. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Which the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have refused to do. And Jesus says, you, you, you won't believe Moses. You're not going to believe me. doesn't matter how many signs I do. But there are people that do believe. Flip back to the end of John 4, which we didn't cover last week. I, I want you to see this in contrast with the people who should have seen the signs. Verse 46, so a man uh, has come to Jesus. Jesus is back in Galilee. This man heard that Jesus had come and he goes to him and says, come down and heal my son for he's at the point of death. Jesus said to him, this is Jesus. A little sounds a little frustrating to me. Unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. All you want are signs and wonders. The official said to him, "Sir, come down before my child dies." There's a desperation in this man. I, I, my son's going to die. This man's at the end of who he is, and Jesus said to him, "Go, your son will live." The man believed the word that Jesus spoke and went on his way. As he was going, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. So he asked the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Verse 53, the father knew that that was the hour. When Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Now, was the second sign. This dude doesn't stop at the sign. He keeps moving past the sign to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Don't stop at the signs. Go to Jesus. You, you have to get to the place where you understand. It's just all you need is the word that points to the word. The word made flesh who, who took on himself the punishment we were supposed to take. And, and this whole episode in John 5 is, is Jesus driving the stake in the ground. He knows, right? He, he walks into Jerusalem to pick a fight. He heals a man on the Sabbath because he knows that this is going to upset the religious leaders because he, he knows Look, look at it. Verse 25. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. Remember when he told Mary, my hour is not yet? Every time John talks about the hour, it, it's the death of Jesus. And Jesus says, I, I've, I've walked into this place today to set into motion. The, the hour's here. It's time. And you're going to have to make a decision you don't need any more signs. You don't need miracles. You don't need healings. You have Moses. You have John the Baptist. You have all you need. Mm -hmm. All the evidence is there. You need to believe my word. And so that's what we're left with today yeah. is this idea. We just need to believe and trust Jesus and take him at his word. That is our response. Look at verse 24. This is our response. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but
but has passed from death to life. When you believe in Jesus, he gives you eternal life. And I like how Pastor Carlos put it in the earlier services today. This starts right now. Yeah. Eternity starts right now in your hearts. When you believe, this isn't something that you get upon death. This is something you receive right now. He gives you life, new life, and you live that new life powered by his Holy Spirit if you hear his word and you believe. Hmm. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I am continually blown away by the, by the power of your word, by, by um, this book is not like any other book. It's living and active, and the, and, the, and the words move into our hearts and souls and minds and do work that can only be explained by you doing it. And when, when we think about this phrase, get up, wake up, we, we are reminded that there is a day coming, Jesus even says, when those in the tombs are going to hear, wake up, and they're all going to rise. And we're going to sit under judgment with what have we done with Jesus. And so, Father, our prayer today would be that there would be no one who would walk out of the room who has not believed that Jesus is the Son of God and found new life in him. So we pray you would do that today for the name, the fame, and the glory of our great King Jesus, we pray. Amen.